Please turn with me in your Bibles to Titus, chapter 3, where we'll be finishing our study of the letter of Paul to Titus. Remember that the Apostle Paul put Titus there in Crete so that he would establish elders. Pastor Bailey's preaching through 1 Timothy and 1, 2 Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles, and he commissioned these men with very particular specific work. And as we finish here with chapter 3, I have one main point that I want you to think about, especially you young folks, you young men and you young ladies. You are right now and every day, you are going one of two directions. You are either growing in Christ, you're living by the Holy Spirit, you're growing as a Christian, you're engaged in good deeds because you have the hope of eternal life. That's one direction. Or as you'll see from the text, you are factious. Factious. You won't listen to warnings. You're enslaved to your sins and you're self-condemned. One of two directions. And we want to say, well, I'm kind of there in, in between right now and just about every day. But the thing is, you are going one of those two directions. And especially now as you're young, you are developing spiritually one of those ways. So listen up as we turn to God's Word. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word from Titus chapter 3. This is the Word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. I'll back up to 2, verse 15, and then I'll go into 3. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. 
our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So the Proverbs divides people into two groups. You know who they are? The Proverbs. The wise and the fool. That's what we often say. It's more accurately divided into those who listen to instruction and those who reject instruction. Because we all get instruction, but the thing is, we hate to get instruction. He opens up, remind them to be subject to rulers, to be a to authorities, to be obedient. We need to be reminded of that because every moment of the day, we want to chafe against that. Nobody willingly submits themselves to anybody else. We all naturally desire power. We want to be in charge, in particular of myself. We sing to ourselves, you're not the boss of me now. Guys, familiar? What was that Malcolm in the Middle? It's maybe an old reference. We sing that to ourselves over and over. I might feign pretending that you can be the boss of me, but I really know better. I know that I hate to be told what to do, especially depending on whoever's telling me. And you won't be ready for every good deed if you don't submit yourself to authorities. A rebel looks out for himself. This is, our, this is in our American blood, right? We are rebels. Don't have to be American to be a rebel, but in particular, we think it's honorable. A rebel looks out for himself, so he's not concerned about doing good to others. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom, is how the Bible says it. The Apostle Paul goes on to malign no one. What does it mean, kids, to malign somebody? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing to malign somebody? It is a bad thing. What does it mean? Character assassination, right? What does assassination mean? To hurt somebody, to slander them, to speak badly about somebody. And from a young age, we become masters of maligning people. Brothers, sisters, have you ever maligned your brothers and sisters? Said bad things about them? From a young age, we're either jealous of somebody else. They have something I don't have. They have gifts I don't have. And so you want to tear them down. You want to knock them down a few pegs, right? Or... Some of you kids just kind of look down on other kids and just kind of despise them. Everybody else is making fun of the other kid, and so you want to as well, right? How would you like to be the kid that's maligned and made fun of? doesn't feel good. I'm sorry to say that if you get good at maligning other people when you're young, you'll just get better at it as you get older. Because that's how the whole corporate world works, right? You just step on everybody. John, is this what you're taught, taught at college? Just step on everybody till you make it to the top. 
the corporate world is harsh. The working world is harsh. The world is ruled by the aggressive use of force. But Christians are commanded to be peaceable, to be gentle, is what we're told here, to show every consideration for all men, in particular, the kids that are getting picked on. But if you are severe, if you're jealous of others or have contempt toward them, if you're quick-tempered and slander and malign other people, then you aren't working for the peace and unity of the community and the church. You're tearing it down. And all this comes from pride. We all think pretty highly of ourselves as it is already. We all think too highly of ourselves than we should. How does the Bible say it? If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You want to be first? Be servant of all. He deceives himself. Now, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For we also once were foolish ourselves. I don't know about you, I'm kind of discouraged by that phrase. Because it's in the past tense. We also once were foolish ourselves. And this other list that should describe us in the past tense. Right? If you are a Christian, this list should describe how you used to be. Not how you are, not how you want to be, not how you will be tomorrow. Now, my folks can testify, because they're here with us this morning. I became a Christian in high school, and before then, in middle school and early high school, I was terrible to be around. I was pretty, pretty morose youngster. My mom's just smiling back there, because mothers just love and adore their kids no matter what. My dad looks a little more sober because he, he'll he give it to me straight. Once we're foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. How I pray this describes how we used to be. You young men, you young ladies, how you used to be. Hopefully you're all putting that to death now. Hopefully that describes how I today, how I used to be. But this verse is so instructive. It's the why we should not malign others and be hateful toward others. Why? Because we ourselves, you yourself, used to be the one with the heart of stone. You used to be the hater of God. You used to be his enemy. We also once were foolish ourselves. And guess what? He forgave a sinner like you. If you are a Christian, he forgave a sinner like you. You who were his enemy. How can you not therefore put away foolish pride and begin to love others and put them as more important than yourself? If you know you've been forgiven much, and trust me, you've been forgiven much. I have. If you know how much you were in debt, the debt you were forgiven, then you will forgive much because he will forgive you. 
How does Christ say it? He will forgive you as you have forgiven others. But if you're unaware of your faults, you're an expert on everyone else's faults and sins, but all your desires are pure and clean as the wind-driven snow, if you're unaware, especially your current faults and sins, then you'll be cold and harsh and judgmental toward others. He who is forgiven much loves much. With all our relationships, we can never forget that. With our friendships, with our family, in marriage, and with children, with all your relationships. Some people love to just hold a grudge forever. How terrible the life outside of Christ is. If you have not been forgiven much, and it makes unbelievers foolish, it makes them hard-hearted. And by this list, the Apostle Paul, he's contrasting the children of God from unbelievers. We must have our hearts cleansed from all envy, all malice, and we must be full of love toward everyone else God puts in our lives. Toward our neighbor, who is, if you've been catechized, we must love our neighbor, who is, everyone else. Verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. What are the first two words to describe God in this verse? Kindness and love. Kindness and love for mankind. That's how God was. Those two things are exactly what we want from a father, aren't they? Any of you kids, when dad comes home, you want him to be harsh and angry and hangry, is almost what I said, and hateful? Any of you kids want that? No. You look pretty sober. We want our father to be kind and loving, and that's how God the Father is. May not necessarily give us everything we want all the time, but he gives us what we need. Only because he had mercy on us. He saved us when we were his enemies. Not because there was anything lovable about us. Want nothing appealing. I want nothing appealing about you. Despite what your mama tells you, you weren't lovable. God loved you regardless. God is kind and he loved you and saved you. And the history... As you look throughout history, the Lord has shown mercy and really pity to a people who were small, they were despised. Wasn't anything lovable about Abram and his family. You becoming a new creature is only a result of God having mercy on you. You didn't clean yourself up. Think about the Apostle Paul's own life. He thought he was doing service to God by working to destroy the church. And what happened? God humbled the Apostle Paul. He brought him low. And then 
he put Paul into useful service in his church. Through trials, through many trials, none of us have experienced trials like the Apostle Paul has. Verse 5, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Lord's mercy. We did not regenerate ourselves. A dead creature can't make itself alive. And we are prone, as we read here, we are prone to wander, aren't we? We sing songs about this. We do wander like stupid sheep that wander off where it's not safe, where it's dangerous. Some of you might know uh, Pastor Bailey's grandfather, Joseph Bailey IV, he wrote a lot. He wrote psalms psalms throughout his life. Listen to this psalm of wandering. Tell me if this isn't exactly you. Lord, you know I'm such a stupid sheep. I worry about all sorts of things, whether I'll find grazing land, still cool water, a fold at night in which I can feel safe. I don't. I only find troubles, want loss. I turn aside from you to plan my rebel way. I go astray. I follow other shepherds, even other stupid sheep. Then when I end up on some dark mountain, cliffs before and wild animals behind, then what do you do? I start to bleat, shepherd, shepherd, find me and save me. Or I die. And you do. He finds us. Isn't that sweet? Written by a man who knew the Lord and who knew his sin. Knew how he wandered. We wander away from the Lord. It's what we do. And he brings us back to him. When we were dead in our sins, we would not seek him out because we were dead. And because we wanted to sin, we didn't want the Lord. He writes in verse 5 about the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's at least an allusion to baptism. And I sent what I wrote here to Joseph to see if he was happy with this. So it's Joseph approved. To be clear, salvation is not obtained by the outward symbol of water. Again, you young people, listen up. And yet, baptism is the entrance into the church, the symbol of our engrafting into Christ. But remember, there is the sign and there is the thing signified. Baptism is the sign. So whether you were baptized at birth or when you were younger, or some kids here are dedicated after being born, Lord willing will be baptized later, or baptized after profession of faith and examining, examination by the elders, either way, 
the water of baptism, the sign does not save you. Because he says right here, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The water of baptism is the sign. The thing signified is the renewing by the Holy Spirit, God making you a new creature in Christ and bringing you into his body. You can't do it. Only he does the work of regenerating and renewing you. And so you young people, whether you've already been baptized or whether, Lord willing, you will be baptized, your baptism does not save you. And yet, regardless, you are right now, you're going only one of two directions. You cannot hide behind the faith of your parents. On the day of judgment, when you die, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you won't have dad, mom, to intercede for you between you and God. All of your deeds will be laid bare before him. All the deeds that you think you hide well from dad or mom. I know how crafty you are. I was a crafty kid. No, Conniving is what my mom called me. Conniving. On the day of judgment, your parents will not be there to intercede for you. So you must close with Christ. Today, you must testify that Christ is your Lord and Savior. And dads and moms need to remember the same thing. On the day of judgment, we won't be there to intercede for them. All their deeds will be exposed before the Lord of glory, just like mine and yours will. Young people, close with Christ. And I'm happy to talk with you more afterward. But repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Turn in faith to Jesus. The Apostle Paul goes on. He writes, And of the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, he blows apart the idea that we save ourselves. We're renewed not by our intentions, that they were better than other folks' intentions, not because we thought better thoughts, not because we were going down the wrong path and we followed these certain steps to make us better, Not because we had better parents, we were renewed by the Holy Spirit. It's what God does. We are entirely dependent on the mercy of God. We're poor and entirely without anything good if we're left to ourselves. And some of you might say, well, yes, I got the Holy Spirit, but they seem to have gotten a special portion of the Spirit. I might have a little bit of the Spirit. Some people seem to have more of the Spirit. I only got a little bit. It's not fair. Listen, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have infinitely better than you deserve. And that's a fact. If you have the Spirit, you have an abundance. And that abundance will never run out. Through Jesus Christ, 
he writes, Through Jesus Christ our Savior, at the end of verse 6. Verse 7, So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We all want to tell ourselves, the one of two paths, we all want to tell ourselves that we're only on the path of growing as a Christian, right? I'm only and always on that path. I'm not going down the path of a factious, perverted man. Not me. We may think others are. I know other people who are factious and perverted, but not me. Because I serve the church by doing this, therefore I'm not factious. Well, at least I'm not as factious as some other people. But the history of the church is a history of these two paths, these two directions. Those who are in Christ, who are alive in the Holy Spirit, and who have been a gift in service to the church. And those who are factious. So, young men and ladies, who can tell me what factious means? What does it mean to be factious? The Greek and old translations, it could say heretic. Factious, a follower of false doctrine. And you see in the list that you work up to that. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You give yourself to a life of fighting over very frivolous things. And you end up being a heretic, a factious man. This could be an ambitious man. Unruly, contentious, a heretic. Those who are led away by sinful passions. Who disturb the peace of the church. Who are always raising a dispute. Everyone who is so overwhelmed with his pride, he's just let his pride carry him away, that he wants to break up the unity of the church. Now, the devil loves to swing us into ditches. If we're over here, he loves to swing us over here. So, we're not going to leave here. I'm not going to say that everyone but me is a factious man. I don't want to leave here, any of us leaving here, thinking that. Not at all. We can all have a host of different opinions here, very differing opinions, and we should. But as long as we're not dividing ourselves into different factions. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. That's our tendency. We want to break ourselves off. We want to divide ourselves. We want to reject unity and to take others along to our side. In any relationship, you know how this is. You want to break yourself off. It is hard work to have unity in any kind of relationship. If you put yourself first, it makes it even more difficult. If you care about yourself, number one. You have to see that those are two very different things. Having your opinions, having your convictions, fine. Talk about them, even argue about them. But recognize that you do have selfish motives. 
selfish motives, if left unchecked, they will separate you from the body of Christ. Not just this particular body, but I'm talking about the whole church. A factious man, a heretic, is opposed to the unity of the church. He doesn't want unity. He doesn't want to work for the unity of the church. God, on the other hand, loves unity. And this is important, this warning that the Apostle Paul gives to Titus and to us here this morning, because what should happen with this man? He should be warned first, second, and then what? Rejected. This is a man who wants to fight just for the sake of fighting. It's not even to a good end. So it doesn't matter how many times you defeat him with your arguments, he's just going to keep fighting because he wants to fight. He wants to divide people. He's selfish. And so that's why the Apostle Paul tells Titus, after the second warning, reject him. That's the only response to a factious man. Warn him once, he doesn't listen. Warn him a second time, he doesn't listen. And so reject him. And some of you might say, well, that's not consistent with Matthew 18. Anyone familiar with Matthew 18? What's it about? If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So there are more steps than two warnings there, right? First, these warnings here in particular again, are given to Titus. They are given to officers of the church in a unique way. This is quite a gift, actually, to the church because savage wolves come in among your own selves, the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts. And so this is a gift to the church so that we won't be long-suffering with factious men. Our tendency is to not reject a factious man. Our tendency is to coddle him, actually. We're kinder, we're gentler, so we tell ourselves. And you say, well, I would deal with the factious man. i deal with him immediately and effectively. But let's be honest. We sometimes struggle with dealing with factious children in our own home right? We overlook things. Who even has the faith to warn a factious man a first and second time, let alone to reject him? It takes faith. And so the Apostle Paul commands Titus. He's given this concession. This factious man, he's like a cancer. Warn him, warn him, reject him. Because contentious men are not satisfied. They're black holes that will just take all of your energy. And Titus, without a warning like this, he may keep putting energy into that black hole. And what happens to the rest of the flock then? All of the sheep who are ready to learn, to ready to grow, they get starved because all the pastor's energy is taken up. 
Do the work of identifying a factious man. Don't be a factious man or woman or child. Do the work of warning. And if need be, rejection. Satan would love it if factious men were never warned. But then the sheep are left to be devoured. Warn carefully and thoughtfully and with a lot of prayer. And why is that? The sentence is pretty severe. Reject him after first and second warning, verse 11, reaching near the end here. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. It's serious. We're talking about eternal souls here. And as he wraps up here, verse 15, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Jesus Christ gives warnings against those who don't produce fruit in the Gospels. Not producing fruit is evidence of what's going on on the inside. An admonition again to you young people. God loves to see you being fruitful. The good works don't save you, but they show that the Spirit is alive inside of you. That you are engaging in the things that please Him. And the Apostle Paul ends, All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Isn't that sweet? Greet those who love us. May that be true of us, that we would greet one another, love one another in the faith. Don't grow to be factious. Submit yourself to Christ. Grow in Him. Submit yourself to the church, to the preaching of God's Word. Humble yourself. Don't grow to be factious. Love the unity and serve the church for the unity of God's people. Let's pray.